out. and unique person <coughs> of magnificent <coughs> I am I am I am I am deeply loved of God fully pleasing to God totally accepted by God when my person is expressed through my performance the reflection is dynamically dynamically unique 
There has never been another like me in the history of mankind. Nor will there ever be. I am. An original. One of a kind. Really somebody. I am unique. And, and so are you. you. Well, good morning, I'm Carmen, and I love the way that that video speaks so well to what we're digging through this series about how God has made each one of us unique. We're uniquely made, uniquely gifted, and uniquely loved. We each are drawn into this relationship with God that, that is, is like none other. And um, that's kind of what we're, we're kind of digging through throughout the course of this series is looking at what does that mean? Because I'm uniquely made, because God has uniquely gifted me, what does that mean about the way that I interact with the people around me and the world around me? And today specifically, we're going to be honing in on the, the fact that we are uniquely needed in this world. Now, all of us know what that feels like, right? To know that you are needed in some way. Because you have had times when you have been looking at other people saying, oh, you need me for this, right? <laughs> I know that that has happened in our house a number of times, um, where my husband has said to me, oh, you need me for this. He is an expert with Excel, and he deals with Excel all the time. Excel spreadsheets, he can manipulate literally hundreds of thousands of cells of data in the same amount of ease that it takes the rest of us to tie our shoes. So he lives in this world of Excel. He does it incredibly well, and um, he uses it to like analyze data, and the numbers tell a story, and he counts up all sorts of things. And for this, people that deal with his company pay lots and lots of money. So this is an important skill for him, him to have. Well, I work here at Daybreak, and sometimes I need to count things, too, here. So I had this project, and I was like, ah, I need to do this in Excel. I think this would make sense for me to do this in Excel. And while I know the very basics of Excel, I um, don't know any of the intricacies of it. So I asked him, I was like, can you teach me how to do this? Which was probably my first big mistake. <laughs> so um, he says, yes, sure, I'd be glad to teach you. So let me show you. And he starts like doing all this stuff on the computer. I'm like, wait, no, 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 I'm lost. I need to be the one sitting at the computer and I need to be doing it. And you need to tell me because I learn by hands on. So, okay, fine. You sit at the computer. So I'm doing this thing and you can tell his like blood pressure is rising as I'm like so slowly like working through this and not clicking the right stuff. And finally he gets to the point where he's just like, just stop, just stop, just, just let me do it. You need me to do this for you. Just, just let me do it. So I had so violated his, his principles of, of Excel done well that he just felt like, oh, I just, I, I need to step in and I need to do that. Have any of you ever had one of those experiences where you just saw someone doing something so badly that you're like, just, just let me do it. Let me just step in there. Yes, a number of you. And I think in a number of ways, all of us have experience that to some degree of another, or another, because there are things that some of us are just made to do. We're built to do it. We're really good at it. That's what we're made for, and the world needs us that way. Well, in a similar way, God has put a passion inside of each one of us, a piece of his heart inside of each of us. And it's something that lines up with, with what's important to his heart. And it's one of those things that when we see it being done badly in this world, we have that same feeling that rises up in us. Like, just, just let me do it. Let me help you. you I, I can bring something to the table on this. 
This is a passion that God has put inside of you. Now, just to be clear, a lot of us have passions about a lot of things. <laughs> some of us have passions about Excel spreadsheets. Some have passions about football. Some have passions about all kinds of opinions. I personally have a, a strong passion about the fact that the Outback Steakhouse has once again taken the Sydney Sinful Sunday off of their dessert menu. I am passionate about the fact that that is so wrong. But those are not the kinds of passions that we're talking about today. We're not just talking about those things that you get a little worked up about. We're talking about the passions that God has put inside of you that lined up with his heart. The things that he has made inside of you that express who he is to the world around us. Because God has literally put a piece of his own heart in each one of us. And each of us are built with what Bill Hybels has coined as a holy discontent. A thing that God has put inside of us that we are made to live out, a peace inside of us that the world needs for us to express in order for them to see who God is through us. And we are uniquely made. Each of us are given a unique set of talents and abilities and experiences and people that we interact with that allows us to be uniquely needed in this world. And it's that combination of all of those things together that, that create that need that God says, I've made you for this. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, this, this holy discontent that God has put inside of us that can be expressed in this world and a world that needs to see who God is. So that's where we're going today. If you haven't already pulled your outline out of your program guide, you can do that right now. And we're going to look at this first point together. And it says, I discover how I'm uniquely needed as, first of all, God stirs my heart to align with his. As God stirs my heart to align with his. Okay, so there's this prophet in the Old Testament, and his name is Jeremiah. Now, you have to understand that a prophet's job in the Old Testament was to carry messages from God to his people. A prophet kind of worked as a mouthpiece um, from God to the people in the world. And unfortunately, a prophet's job was never all that um, popular, if you will, because most of the time when God needed to speak to people through a prophet, it was often because God had a, a warning message. The people weren't listening to God, and he was trying to warn them through the prophet that, look, you're headed on a path for destruction. And so because of that, prophets were not all that popular. They weren't all that well-received. Uh, um, and so Jeremiah finds himself in this particular situation where people aren't all that thrilled with who Jeremiah is, not necessarily who he is, but what he has to say. And Jeremiah also had the unfortunate privilege of living in a very difficult time of Israel's history as well. Um, in Jeremiah's lifetime, the northern kingdom of Israel had been obliterated. If you remember your biblical history at all, you know that, that um, the nation of Israel was formed. They functioned as a united kingdom for a little while, and then they divided into the northern and the southern tribes. Northern tribes were Israel. The southern tribes were Judah. And during the time of Jeremiah, those northern tribes were conquered. The Assyrians came in, wiped them out. They were scattered. They were exiled, never to return again. Those northern tribes kind of wiped off the map as far as the solidified people of God. And so now all that's left is this southern kingdom of Judah. And they're on the brink of disaster as well. And this is the time that Jeremiah lives. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 1, verses 3 to 5. 
The Lord's messages to Jeremiah continued throughout the reign of King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the 11th year of the reign of King Zedekiah, another of Josiah's sons. In August of that 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. I want to stop there for just a second. That is probably one of the saddest sentences in the history of Israel. In August of the 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. Why is that so sad? Because understand, remember, northern kingdom already gone. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. And those people were just taken away as captives. Israel has fallen. They are in trouble. Those people were exiled. They were sent away. This is an intense period of history for the nation of Israel, for all of the Jewish people. It's, it's not looking good for them at all. And this is what God is saying to Jeremiah in the midst of that. So we continue the verse. It says, and the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So in the midst of all of this upheaval, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, God comes to Jeremiah in the midst of all of this swirling mess of what on earth is happening in the world around me. God comes to Jeremiah and he affirms him saying, I made you for this. This is what I appointed you to do. And I know it seems really hard right now, but the world needs you. I made you to do this. And the world needs you to live it out. So why do I tell you that story this morning of Jeremiah? I tell you that story because like Jeremiah, God has put a piece of his heart into ours. God had put a piece of his heart into Jeremiah. God has put a piece of his heart into ours. And he built each one of us uniquely and for a purpose. And the world needs us to live it out, even if it seems a little hard even if you don't really fully understand how God is going to turn this around, if God's saying, this is what I've made you to do, the world needs you to do it. God built each one of us, built us. We're not produced on an assembly line. We're not cookie-cutter replicas of one another. We are handcrafted and uniquely made. When I was in high school, I messed around with art a little bit, and I took one class where I had to make a mosaic, one of those things where you like had a grouted frame and you had to put all the little pieces of glass in there to create whatever picture it was that you were uh, attempting to create. And I remember as I made that piece, there were all these bins of different colors of glass. There was a bin of blue, gla- blue glass and red and yellow and green and whatever. And I remember sorting through those bins, looking for just the right piece to fit into my mosaic, to fit into this bigger masterpiece, masterpiece that I was making. And I remember looking through and you had to find exactly the right piece to fit in there. You had to find the one that was the right size and the one that was the right shape. And even though all the ones in this bin were blue, there were a thousand different shades of blue and different ways that they reflected the light. And so you had to dig through and you had to find just the right one to fit in just the right place in order to create the picture that you were working to create. And that's kind of what God is saying here. He's saying, I need you. I'm looking for someone built just like you. But the beauty of it is that God isn't just digging through the people of the world saying, oh, let me find the one that I need. God's saying, I made you 
to be that peace. I made you in that shape and in that size and with just that right reflection of my heart to the world, I made you to fit into this piece, into this masterpiece that I am making. I made you for this. And it kind of blows me away that God does that, that he looks at each and every one of us and he says, you, 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 I made you to be a part of this masterpiece. You are the perfect fit. You carry a piece of my heart in you. You reflect who I am to the world. You are the one who carries my heart. And God wants to stir that inside of each of us. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love that affirmation and I love that coupling that God does there, the reminder that our salvation is just that. It is a gift this job that he's created for us to do, this role that he's created for us to live out, that doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't work hard enough. And if I do this job well enough, then I'm going to earn my salvation. He's like, no, 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 no. Your salvation is a gift. That is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing more that you can do. There's nothing less that you can do to be any more or less worthy of that. It's a gift. It is handed to you. And because I have given you this gift of salvation, I have made you to be a part of this bigger masterpiece that I am creating. I made you to have a role in this thing that's playing out in this world, this master plan that that transcends anything that this world could ever possibly offer us. You see, this isn't about this passion that God has put inside of us. This isn't about a burden to prove ourselves to God. This is about living out the life that God intended for us, living life to the fullest. We don't go after this passion with a, with a nervousness inside that, oh, I hope I find the right thing so that I can make God happy and I can earn something good with him. No, we go after this passion because it's something beautiful that God has put inside of us that when we go after it, it creates life to the fullest for us. That's the beauty of all of this. But I have to wonder how many of us are here to say, today saying, that sounds great, it sounds fantastic, but I have no idea what my role is supposed to be in this world. I love what you're saying, and I love the idea of the whole thing, but I don't know how I fit into any of that. And I have to be honest, I can really relate to you in that, because for a long time, I felt exactly the same way. I'd hear people talk about their passion and this thing that they were compelled to do, and usually it was people that had started World Vision or Compassion International or had moved across the world, and I remember thinking, wow, that is amazing, that passion they have inside of them. But I don't feel that. Clearly, I suffer from a deplorable lack of passion because <laughs> I don't know what my, my role is in all of this. And it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. And so I decided, you know what? I need to figure this out because I believe that what God's word says is true. 
I believe that he gave me a piece of his heart as well. I believe that there's got to be something that he's stirring me to line up with who he is so that I can make an impact in this world. And so I started to try to explore and discover. I started to try to pay attention to things like what frustrates me? Where are those places where I like the Excel spreadsheet? I'm like, oh, I just, I have to dive in and do something about that. What are the the places that get me kind of worked up that way? What are the things that just really are an emotional magnet for me and keep pulling me back? And I started trying new experiences, new environments, just to explore and discover, like, where are the places? Who are the people that I interact with that really get me charged up? I started trying to tap into my life experiences because I found as I looked around at everyone that most of the time, God's passion does line up with your pain or your hurt or your experiences or the the, the people that you've interacted with. So I tried to pay attention to all of those things. And eventually, I did discover what my passion is. It was there all along. It just wasn't a form that I hadn't expected it to be in, so I had kind of missed it. You see, because my passion isn't flashy. (laughs) My passion isn't the kind of passion that, at least as of now, has caused me to want to start a national organization or pick up my family and move to Africa. My passion is somewhat ordinary, if you will. Because my passion, I've discovered, is for the average, ordinary follower of Jesus. People exactly like you and like me. That's who my heart beats for. And I've discovered that nothing energizes me more than when I encounter a follower of Jesus that is fully alive, that's growing and experiencing Jesus and learning and and living that life to the fullest. I, I love that. And nothing breaks my heart more than a follower of Jesus who is dying inside. People who have access to the most amazing life that God has intended, and yet they're missing it. That's what makes me want to move. Partially because I've experienced it myself. I've had those moments where I felt fully alive, and I've had those moments where I've been feeling like I'm dying on the inside. And God is saying, this is who I need you to be. (laughs) This is your passion. This is what you need to go after. This is how I want you to influence and lead. I want you to take advantage of opportunities to be able to teach and, and help people. This is what God has made me to do. How I believe he's calling me to make a difference. And so I have this job here at Daybreak, and there are easier jobs that I could have, truth be told, but none that stir me like this one does. And I fully believe that even if I didn't work here at Daybreak, I would be finding a way to do this same type of thing in a different environment, in a different way. It might look differently, but this is what God has made me to do. To be an influence in the body of Christ to the average, ordinary person. So that we can be fully alive in what God intends for us. This is my passion. This is what stirs me. Yours is 
may be similar, yours is maybe completely different, but I encourage you that if you haven't identified your passion, keep searching for it, because mine didn't really pop the way some people do. Some people explain like, oh, I just had this moment and I just knew that this was it. Mine more gradually emerged. And so if you don't know what your passion is, keep exploring, keep discovering, be intentional about trying to figure out, spend time with God, getting to know his heart. Because if you're going to figure out what passion of yours aligns with his heart, you need to know what his heart is. So dig in, spend time with Jesus, get to know him. Make the most of the opportunities that are available around you. Experiment and explore with different ministry opportunities or serving in the community or maybe going on a short-term missions trip or any of these thousand different ways that you could expose yourself to new people, new places, new things, new experiences and see which one feels like, oh, it just fits. Which one makes you feel like, oh, I just, I have to do something about that. Your passion may end up being something like, I fix cars and I've discovered that when I can do this for people that are under-resourced, single moms or people who are unemployed, when I can offer that service, man, I just, I love the way that God uses me in that. I love the way that I can see that I'm making a difference there. Or maybe your passion has something to do with students or with children and you just know that when you interact with them, man, this is what God made me to do. There's a thousand different things. Explore it. Find it. If you're having trouble doing that, we have a little tool for you. If you're on our email list through um, Daybreak Link, DB Link, um, this should have been emailed to you earlier this week, but if not, it is also available in your program guide today. There's a yellow insert in there. It says on the front, Ministry Passion Assessment. Simple little tool to get you started if you're not knowing where to start. On the inside, it helps you um, work through a couple different questions to think about, to kind of ponder and to discover, like, oh, what are, what are the ways that God is prompting me? There's a list of different people groups and social issues that maybe when you consider one of those, you're like, yeah, that's the thing that I just, oh, I got to get my hands in. I got to get my hands on. And then on the other side, there's um, some meaningful experiences where you can think through what are some of the things that, that have been significant in my life that have kind of, again, just made me made me stirred to do something about things that have been significant or meaningful to me. I encourage you to take the time to work through that if you're struggling to find your, your passion and the way that God made you. Bill Hybels wrote a whole book called Holy Discontent, and he has this quote in it that I really love. It's there in your outline today as well, and it says, I, sure, I assure you, there is a holy discontent with your name on it. There is something out there that God is waiting for you to grab onto so that he can use you to help solve it. It wrecks you. It wrecks him. And he is ready for you both to do something about it. And that leads us really well into our next point today, discovering how I'm uniquely needed as I act with the recognition that God is with me. I act with the recognition that God is is in me. So God stirs our heart to align with his. But even after that happens and we've identified that passion, we still need to do something about it. That passion is needs to be something that actually motivates us to get up off of the couch and to go do something with it. Just good intentions aren't necessarily what God is intending for this. We have to act on it. 
You know, I remember a time I went hiking with some friends, and along the way, we stopped at a particular site that had a rock face that you could climb. And it was a difficult climb. Well, not difficult for an experienced climber, but for a newbie, it was a a little bit more of a difficult climb. And I remember hearing about this particular climb before and hearing that the view from the top was absolutely phenomenal. That if you made your way up there, you could see for miles just gorgeous view, one of those things that people talked about for years afterwards, like, do you remember when we climbed to the top of the thing and, and we saw this, this beautiful sight? And I remember I really wanted to see what that looked like. It was inspiring to even think about getting up to the top. But we stopped at this site, and I'm looking up at the, the rock face, and I hesitated. I wasn't sure when I was looking at that mountain... <laughs> If I really wanted to do it, why did I hesitate? Well, because I was a little afraid. What if I wasn't strong enough to make the climb? What if I didn't have enough stamina? What if I didn't have enough experience? What if I tried and I just couldn't make it up to the top? The friends I was with were more experienced climbers. And so there was even a part of me that thought, what if I try and I look stupid because I can't make it? That's just going to be embarrassing. There were all of these hesitations inside of me that I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. That mountain looks big to me right now. And so I kept coming up with this litany of excuses. And you know what? I never made the climb. I stood at the bottom and I held the belay rope. And to this day, I'm like, doll, <laughs> I missed a really awesome opportunity to experience something really cool. And the only reason I missed it was because I was afraid. I think sometimes this passion that God has built inside of us feels kind of the same way. We identify the passion and sometimes it feels really big. (laughs) And we're looking at the mountain and we really want to experience it. We know it's going to be so cool if we get there. But we start hesitating. We start allowing our fear to dictate our decisions. If we look back at the story of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah that he's been built for this. Jeremiah knows that God has made him for this, but at the same time, Jeremiah is a little afraid. If we continue that um, passage from Jeremiah 1 in verses 6 to 8, it says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Jeremiah even, this prophet of God even, has this inner voice that's saying, What? Are you kidding me? God, are you kidding me? I can't do this. Everything, the mountain is too big. Everything is stacked against me here. I'm not going to be able to to do this. Can you relate to that feeling? Because I know that I can. Just like my rock climbing opportunity that I missed, sometimes when I'm faced with a challenge that God has given me, I run through all of the reasons why that's not going to work. I don't know enough. I'm not skilled enough. I don't think I have the right resources. What if I try that and fail or look stupid doing it? 
I don't even know where to start, God. The mountain's too big. I don't even know what the first footstep is supposed to look like. And we start running through this litany of excuses that in the end, we almost start pacifying ourselves into believing, oh, yes, this is, this is the wise and prudent decision for me to do nothing here because clearly this is, is not going to end well if I move forward with this. And it paralyzes us. And in the end, we miss an amazing adventure because we're afraid. But do you see what God says to Jeremiah in this instance? Essentially, he looks at Jeremiah and he says, stop making excuses. You need to do this. Don't be afraid. And why is God telling him not to be afraid? For I will be with you. Underline that sentence in your outline there. I will be with you. I have spoken. God will be with us in whatever mountain it is that he's given us to climb, whatever passion he's put in our heart. He's not going to send us out alone to do that. And too often in my life, I focused on the wrong thing. I focused on the fear. Like Jeremiah, I focused on all the things that I don't have in my hands instead of focusing on God and what he has in his hands. I focused on the fear instead of on the faith, which essentially means I'm focusing on me instead of on God. I'm getting it all turned around and all backwards, and God doesn't want us to focus on the fear He's saying, I'm with you in this. I'm going to take you to amazing places in this. I'll do it with you. It's not about how good I am at this. It's about how good God is at this and how we're going to link arms and do it together. He's not sending us out alone. He's not saying, there's the mountain, go climb it. Report back when you're done, because I want to hear how it went. He's like, no, we're going to do it together. And part of the whole reason I believe that God gave us a passion in the first place is to build that relationship with him. That's precisely the point. I'm giving you something that's a little bit bigger than yourself so that we can do it together. Because remember, you're not doing this to prove your salvation. You're not doing this to prove your worthiness to God. You're doing this because God's saying, this is a place that you and I can lock arms and climb the mountain together. This is a place where you and I can do life together, where I can teach you the fullness of life together with me, where I can show you something bigger than yourself. This is a place where I can grow you and I can stretch you and you can see who I am. This is about a life experience and a life journey. This isn't about just getting something done because God needs a job done. This is about reflecting who he is, doing it together with him, growing a relationship with him, and the result is uniquely beautiful, and the result is uniquely needed to a world who so desperately needs to see who God is and how he works in this world. It's a beautiful thing to see it. We have a story this morning of someone who has taken that leap of faith, who has kind of explored her passions, has experienced different environments, and and trusted God to walk with her on that journey. And so I'd like for us to watch this morning the story of Laura Cipolla. Let's take a look. Laura, today we're talking a little bit about uh, how we're uniquely needed 
how God puts a passion in our heart to care about things that the world needs, that he loves. And uh, your story uh, tells that story really well in how you started as an English major in college Mm -hmm. and didn't realize as an English major that getting a job wasn't going to be so easy graduating as an English major. And then how you went with to live with your, some roommates, and they ball got jobs, you're still stuck with a job not in your major, and starting to wonder, like, what do I do now? Tell us a little bit about, like, what you experienced, some of the frustration, some of the, like, what did you do about that? Oh, sure. Well, it was a job that I loved. I was in, I was a server, I was in customer service, working with people, staying busy, and I loved it. Mm. But after about a year and a half, I started to get really frustrated because you just kind of stop and you look and you say, you know, yeah, this is fun, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not really accomplishing anything. I was 23 at the time. I had no ties. I had, beyond my job and, you know, rent and whatnot, I had no real responsibilities. And I really felt like I could be doing more. And so I was really, really frustrated. Well, I had no problems taking that frustration to God uh, during my quiet time. And, you know, it seemed like shortly after I started airing these frustrations, he said, okay, well then go. But... I started laughing because I'm like, really, you know, going to me at that point meant being a nurse, being a doctor, building something overseas. You know, what am I equipped to do as someone with an English degree? And being so young at the time, I just had, I I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I was like, I I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. So, you know, I kept praying about that. I kept saying, okay, well, what can I do? And really quickly after that, it must have been the next Sunday at church, I was sitting there And I was reading over the bulletin right before service started. And there it was at the bottom of the page. It was an ad that said, you know, uh, English teachers needed in Japan for three, three months to one year. And it was one of those, you know, smack your forehead (laughs) kind of moments. And you can feel God laughing and saying, really, you're not equipped for anything. (laughs) Yeah. And so that that started it. Wow. So when you you went on this trip and uh, say a little bit about how you talk a little bit about how you're. You ate different foods, you had all these different experiences, you worked with lots of different people. And in those experiences, something happened in you where you began to appreciate, um, began to understand a little bit more about what you really loved in life. Like, it wasn't just English, there was something else that God wanted you to care about very deeply. Tell us a little bit about how did that get shaped and what is that thing that you care so deeply about? Absolutely. So. When I got over there, um, I went for six months, and that's considered short-term. Um, but when you're in, you're, you go as a short-term missionary, you're kind of treated as an intern sometimes, so you get thrown into a bunch of different things, which for me was perfectly fine. I was just excited to be there and to be doing something. Um, but that meant I was helping out in the mission office, doing paperwork, filing. Um, I was working kind of just with different data there. I was working with a high school group of kids uh, that they had, and then of course I was teaching English. Um, and another piece that um, that I did each week was I went into a church. They had me stationed, I guess you want to call it, at a church every Sunday. And this particular church was really small. It was about, you know, 12 to 15 people. But what was really neat was there was a Korean pastor, there was a Brazilian couple, a Chinese couple, there was me from America, and then the the Japanese who were there. And so there were there was a whole world of cultures represented in this little church. And in the time that I got to spend with them, and in the time I got to spend, you know, with the missionaries and the international workers, the time I got to spend with, you know, the Japanese people that I taught, and the time that I got to spend with the high schoolers, you know, God just started opening up all these different um, pieces 
of his personality that I could see in each of these people. And it was really neat to see who they were and who he made them to be and how he expressed his personality in each one of them. Wow. And now you've joined the Global Ministries team mm -hmm. uh, because I'm sure uh, going on trips, helping other people go on trips, there's a big tie-in to this love for seeing, both seeing what God, how God's created people differently and also helping them understand, helping everyone understand that God's image is in every person and that they just need to like, connect with their creator to really appreciate it, which is really cool. But I'm sure as people are watching this and thinking about it, they're like, well, if I go on a missions trip and stretch myself, experience all these things, which is a huge part of your story, do I come back and be on the missions team? Or how does this translate to your world that you live in every day when you're not doing global missions here at Daybreak? Yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, God's pulled this passion from the experiences that I had for global ministries to participate in global ministries. But, you know, what I was talking about as far as seeing those different pieces of his personality um, in each person um, that I meet, that completely translates to what I do now. I'm back in the customer service industry for my, my career and, you know, getting to work with customers, getting to work with a team of my associates, you know, I can see how he's, how he's designing each person differently and, and the pieces of himself that he's ingrained in each person, you know, whether, you know, they're fresh out of college, whether they're from California, whether they're from Indiana, you know, or whether it's somebody that I see every day. Mm. It's really cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit about how God's helping you understand and know this, how you're uniquely needed and the passions that he's put in your heart that he wants the gospel and the message of his kingdom to come out through you in your regular life. I love that story because I love that Laura was willing to say, okay, I'll go. I'm going to act. I'm going to do something. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but I'm going to go because I feel like you're telling me to go. And so she went, and the result was the fact that she could experience something brand new, experience a passion, discover something new about who she is and who God made her to be. And I encourage you to consider how God might be asking you to go. A short-term trip made all the difference for Laura, and maybe that's a great way for you to stretch your faith this year as well. In your program guide today, there is a little green insert. It says, Daybreak Church Short-Term Trips. We have four different opportunities for trips um, coming up this year um, at daybreak. One is to Biloxi, Mississippi, one to Ecuador in South America, one to Laos in Southeast Asia, and um, a student trip to Colombia in South America. Maybe this is the year that God is saying, just go. You may not end up in missions that might not be your long-term passion, but just going and experiencing this is going to stretch your faith. It's going to expose you to new people and ideas and thoughts and expose you to um, ways that you can discover more about how I've built you. I encourage you to consider getting on a trip this year just to go and to act and to know that God is with you. There are interest meetings this afternoon. There's one here at 2 o'clock, um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what room it's in, but I'm sure that's somewhere in your program, in the Worship Center Cafe. Um, the interest meeting is here at 2 o'clock. Come on back. Just listen to what opportunities are available. If you can't make the one today, there's another one next week at Good Hope Road at 2 o'clock at our Good Hope Road campus. I encourage you, just figure out, God, what are you asking me to do? 
be at least open to the idea that God might be saying to you today, just go, stretch yourself a little bit, know that I'm with you, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to act. You know, shortly before Jesus went to the cross, he sat down with his disciples, and he had this conversation with them. And I know that they didn't fully understand everything that was about to happen. It's clear from when you read scripture, like they didn't really get all of the pieces that were coming together. In hindsight, we have the, the privilege of retrospect to be able to see how it all fit together. But in the moment, it was a little unclear. But they did know that there was a mountain that God was asking them to climb, that Jesus was saying, there's something big coming. And so through a few chapters in the book of John, Jesus has this beautiful conversation with them where he keeps essentially reiterating to, him, to them a few key ideas. And what he keeps reiterating to them essentially is, I love you. I chose you. Go do what I've asked you to do. And I will be with you. If you read a good chunk of the Gospel of John right there in the middle, that's what Jesus keeps saying over and over and over again from John 14 to about John 18. Over and over he's saying, I love you. I chose you. Go do what I've asked you to do and know that you are not alone. There's a little snapshot in John 14, 15 to 17 where he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit will be in you. The Spirit of God himself with you always, no separation from his presence, even if you try. The Spirit has come. And I submit to you today that Jesus still whispers that same message to us that he reiterated to his disciples before he went to the cross. He comes to each of us and he says, I love you. I chose you. I made you for something good in this world. You're uniquely made, uniquely crafted. There is something good that I have you to do in this world. Go do it. And know that you will never, ever be alone. We're going to do this together. That spirit, my spirit, the spirit of God, it's in you. It's with you now and forever. And as we close today, I encourage you just to consider what is that prompting inside of you? What is the thing that God's saying? I chose you for this. I made you for this. What's your passion if you know it, go after it. Don't be afraid. And if you haven't yet discovered it, then be intentional about figuring out. Don't just wait for it to fall in your lap. Go explore it with God to discover what it is that he has for you. There's a beautiful quote by um, Frederick Buechner, and it says this, the place that God, that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's where he's calling you to the place where your deep gladness, what he's made you to do and to be and who you are, meets a place of the greatest hunger in this world. And if you go after it and I go after it and together as the body of Christ, we go after that, imagine 
Imagine the impact that we can make together. Imagine the way that that mosaic will come together as the masterpiece that God intended for it to be. Imagine the way that that will reflect who he is to the world around us. Imagine the way that the world will change. We can do this. The world needs you to do this. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for sharing your heart with us, for putting a piece of who you are into each one of us. And it never ceases to amaze me that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, would take a part of who he is and insert it into my heart. To think that each one of us carries a piece of you is an almost overwhelming gift. Thank you for loving us that way. Thank you for choosing us. And not just choosing us and sending us off, but choosing us and going with us. I pray that we would learn to hold tightly to that security that you are with us. So God, we ask today that you please give us the courage to live out the passion that you've put in our hearts. I pray that we would learn to live full out exactly who you've made us to be with courage and with confidence, knowing that you are with us, that we are never alone. God, the world needs you. Let our lives show them who you are. Amen. I'd love for each of you to reach into your program guide and pull out your response card right now. On the front, there's a place for your name and information. On the back, there's a place for you to write out a prayer request or your response to God today. And I encourage you in these next few moments to just consider what is God prompting you to do? Do you need to discover your passion? Maybe today your response to God is to say, you know what, I am going to do that passion inventory. Maybe your response today is saying, I'm going to get to that short-term interest meeting. Maybe God is telling me to go and I'm going to have that new experience. Maybe God's telling you today, I'm going to get to that journey class because there's a whole piece of that journey class that we offer that helps you explore this gifting idea and the passion that God's put inside of you. Maybe there's another way that God is asking you to respond. Maybe you know what your passion is and you've been holding back. And maybe today your response to God is saying, you know what, no more fear. I'm not going to miss that climb. I'm not going to miss the view from the top. I'm going to go do it. And maybe you need to just write that down today. And if you write it on your card, we would love to be able to pray for you and encourage you in that. But I encourage you to please just take the next few minutes and consider what does God want you to do today with who he's made you to be? Because you are uniquely needed. Ask God what he wants to say to you about that today. That you don't know Your loving family Is my home You are the strength I need For letting go Use my weakness So I can grow And no tears 
wasted, your grace has shown that I won't be shaken because I know I belong to you. I can hear your voice and I will honor you. I have made my choice. There is nothing in this world that could be with you, we can not only uh, find comfort and peace, but we can know for certain that you've created us uniquely. Would you help us to discover what our unique contribution is, God, and then be obedient to you as we make it? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.